Welcome to the second episode of the Nickel and Dime podcast. I'm Tyler Eaton, joined by Harrison Valk. We are in studio at Revolution 91.7. We are now affiliated with Revolution 91.7 officially, so every time we post the podcast, it'll be up on all their social medias if you're looking for it there. We've also moved our base platform over to the Anchor app, which allows us to more easily get it out to other platforms like Apple Podcasts and stuff like that. And then we will also be releasing this episode on YouTube, so you'll get a little visual as well to go along with the audio. This week, we're going to talk week two of college football, including WKU losing to Maine, UK ending the streak against Florida, and then we'll also have Harry's Heisman hopefuls. And then after that, of course, we'll dive into week one of the NFL season and, well, the debacle, the easiest way to describe it, that was the Titans-Dolphins game. And then we'll have some fantasy advice after that. And in today's episode, for the first time, we have multiple guests. You'll hear from them later on. But now, let's dive into some college football. So Harrison, to start out, we're going to talk about the loss that WKU had at home to Maine. You've got Cage the Elephant there before the game, an FCS opponent. Everyone's hyping it up. Everyone's like, okay, we're just going to have fun. This team's going to go out here. It's going to be a blowout, and we're just going to be able to celebrate all night. But that's not what happened. It looked like I it was going to happen. I think it turned into the complete opposite of what, you just, of what you just described. Everyone thought it was going to go one way. We thought we were going to beat Maine, but no, it did not, did not go like that way. No, it all. was not like that at no. all. One thing, though, that I saw, so we know that it was 21 to nothing very quickly. And then mm-hmm. I saw a tweet from Brad Stevens of the Bowling Green Daily News, and it said, and I quote, ladies and gentlemen, we have a blowout. And I saved it, and I said, okay, if something goes wrong, this is one of those cold takes that is going to resurface. And immediately, once things started going downhill, I quote tweeted it, and I said, oof. Yeah, definitely. Because that, definitely. <laughs> that was a little bit of a jinx put on the Hilltoppers, but obviously you can't blame Brad Stevens for what happened. The no, biggest no, no, thing no. you can blame is the play calling. Obviously, the biggest blunder that people are talking about is the fourth and one from WKU's own 15-yard line with a tie game in the third quarter. And Harrison, I just don't know how things could have spiraled so badly out of control that at one point you were up 21 to nothing, and the next thing you know you're going for it on your own 15-yard line with the game tied in the third quarter? I, I, I don't know either. I mean, I had a huge high hopes. I mean, right after that concert, of course, first of all, that was an amazing, awesome concert. It was awesome seeing Cage the Elephant live. But back to football-wise, going into that game, everybody think, everybody, it's, I have never heard of anything about Maine in football-wise, ever, ever. Not, not until I found out that we were going to play them for the first home game of the season. And during the first 18 seconds of the game, we get we get a touchdown. I'm like, oh, okay, this is going this is going really really well. WKU is doing really well. This is this is going this is going great. Then I believe it was Devin Key, uh, f- number two on WKU, got that interception, scored it in for another touchdown, and then another touchdown after that. It's 21 and 0. And then once Maine scores that touchdown, I just had this weird feeling. I was like. Oh no, we might we might be in in trouble here. I don't I, <laughs> right. I, yeah, like when when is Maine scored? I I didn't even know Maine could score a, a touchdown in the game. <laughs> I, I mean, no no offense to Maine or anything, but you just never hear about them in football wise. They're FCS. They're I mean, you would probably hear about them in hockey or something, being up north and everything. But I mean, you just you just don't hear anything about Maine football. I mean, it's all. certainly not, not a team until, that should be beating Saturday. WKU. I yeah, mean, WKU exactly. should have walked over them. Um, a lot of the, a lot of uh, people have talked about Drew Eccles. They've looked at his stats. He said, oh, well, he threw for 347 yards, three touchdowns. But 141 of those yards came on two plays. One of those, a big catch and run from Garland LaFrance. That was all him. And another one was a busted coverage that he threw to Lucky Jackson. So really, if you break it down from there, he only had 200 passing yards and a touchdown from that point. So really, he wasn't that impressive. The run game, once again, was just a disaster for the Hilltoppers. Only 42 rushing yards as a team. Uh, the freshman LaFrance led the team with 33 yards in that game. So something has to change for WKU, and a lot of people Definitely think that it has to be change. Coach Sanford. Um, Twitter is filled up with Coach Sanford being fired, and like I think you were about to say, Right now, Mike Sanford is definitely on the hot seat. Yes, but most most definitely. I read yesterday that his it's only his second year at WKU, but he is only six and nine right now for WKU. And 
I, I guess it all depends. I don't. Maybe he shouldn't be fired right away. I think that we should see how the se- the rest of the season plays out. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to go to a bowl game this year after after last night after Saturday night's performance. Has there ever been a coach that has been fired in the second game, like right after? I, I mean, mean, I'm sure there have been wise. coaches that yes. have been fired after yeah. one game or before one game. It hasn't happened in recent memory, especially at WKU. Um, and I think you're right about the bowl game. I th- there were four games that people really thought that WKU had as locks, um, Maine being one of those. And then you look at Ball State, who just hung with Notre Dame a bit. Yeah, that game yeah. isn't looking as good anymore. Then you got UTEP at home, and then at Charlotte. Those were the four games. But if you can't beat Maine at home. Who can you beat? Who are you a lot to beat if you can't beat an FCS team at home? So a lot of people are calling for Sanford's head about this. To his credit, or just in his defense, he just doesn't have much talent there. Um, You cannot defend the fact that Brom did not bring him much in. I referenced this last week, but I've got the hard numbers for this now from the towel rack. In 2015, Brom's recruiting class ranked 111th nationally and 11th in Conference USA. And then in 2016, his class ranked 101st and 7th in Conference USA. So those guys now from 15 are seniors, and the guys from 16, juniors, redshirt, sophomores, whatever. So really, Sanford just does not have much to work with. And if you look at his classes that he started to bring in, 2017 ranked 82nd nationally, 4th in Conference USA. And then in 2018, this year, 81st nationally, 5th Conference USA, so certainly not world-breaking or you know anything that's blowing your mind at all, but it's still a marked improvement over what Brom was bringing in. And I feel like, especially when you look at those numbers, Todd Stewart is not going to give up on him quite yet. No, not yet. I think we should just see how the season turns out. I don't, I don't think we're—we may— we are going to win a game. I think we're going to win more than... So now we've gone from looking prob- at can they be bowl eligible to yes. can they win a game. Well, yes. I mean, you don't want to have a win... No one wants to have a winless season. I mean, they're probably going to win a game somewhere in the season. Definitely not against like FIU or North Texas or FAU who are at the top of the of the Conference USA right now. But at some point, they're... they're I mean, they, they have to. I mean, it's going to... It should come up at some point. It's not going to be against Louisville next week certainly get not against ball state uh so i guess we'll, we'll just have to we'll just have to wait and see and hopefully sanford can figure out what went wrong on saturday and to get this team back in shape so they can continue to win the games and to at least uh, j- just get some wins on on the table i mean and when you look at the schedule it's certainly logical to think can they even win a game they're not going to win at louisville on saturday no at ball state now is a toss-up they've after got marshall that. at home after that that's probably going to go Marshall's way then you go at Charlotte that's certainly a winnable game but Old Dominion too yeah Old Dominion at home those two games right there back to back are winnable games for WKU but at some point when does winnable suffice because at the beginning of the season those were games that you looked at and said WKU is going to win these games those games fell under that under that umbrella there were those four games that I mentioned and then it was just finding two other games that they would win and now it's just looking at the schedule and saying can they win any games for sure? And after that, there's really just not much that bodes well for WKU. So as you said, bowl eligibility probably not in the picture this year for the Hilltoppers. So if they don't go to a bowl game, what what would you be looking for to kind of signal that this team does have a bright future under Sanford? If anything at all, do you think he can salvage the season at all at this point if they don't go to a bowl game? It's very very hard to determine right I mean I want to go I'd like to just everybody keeps saying no that he's not gonna he's not gonna be our coach for next year and everyone says that he should just get fired after the after that performance on Saturday I think we need I think he need we need to see how he'll do for the rest of the season and then after the season's results they're depending on how they are make your decision then and then like over the summer just hire a new coach and then see how he'll and see how what he'll do for the team over the summer see how he'll do next year I don't think hire I don't think firing him at the la- after that win would be the smartest move maybe just ha- have him be throughout the rest of the season see how he'll do and then Todd Stewart and the rest of the the people can make their decision on whether to fire him or not but as of right now it's very likely that he will that this could be his last season. So WKU football definitely not in the best spot that they've ever been in no, right now. No. Two years past the point when they finished the season ranked in the top twenty five at number twenty four, 
one spot ahead of the Florida Gators, who we will now touch on. And while WKU just had one of their lowest moments, this one's certainly up there for Florida as well. Yes. So last Saturday, UK goes into the swamp. Florida ranked in the top 25. They were back in their high expectations for the Gators this season. The Wildcats go down to Gainesville and come out with a 27-16 victory and end the 31-game win streak that Florida had over Kentucky. Right now joining me, I have our first guest ever on the show, Mr. Casey Warner. Casey, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Casey, a former football player here in the state of Kentucky, transferred over to WKU to continue his broadcasting career, now serves as a DJ for Revolution 91.7, so he'll be joining us periodically. We hope to have him on as often as possible. He certainly knows his way around the sports world, played college football, as I said. And Casey, you are a huge Kentucky football fan, and just to put into perspective how big of a fan you are, you went to the game. You were there in Gainesville to watch the Wildcats in that game. So just briefly tell me what it was like to be there to witness the ending of the streak. Well, Tyler, I'll start by saying that it was very emotional from the start, seeing as I've been to many UK Florida games in the Commonwealth. And this one being at the Swamp, there is definitely a, a dislike for Florida. And, and this one was a very special experience because 31 years is a long time. It's a very long a time. A very long time. And and me and my buddies that went with me had, had a very strong feeling about this one, and that's why we went. And and it obviously turned out the right way, did it not? I mean, it, especially if you're a Kentucky fan, you could not be more pleased with that result. No matter how they got the win, Kentucky beating Florida, like I said, 27-16. to 16, Biggest story of the game, the performance of Terry Wilson in there at quarterback. Lit it up for the Wildcats, and I'm sure – being there live, you were certainly impressed with his performance. That is right. That is right, Tyler. And uh, 10 carries, 105 yards, and a touchdown, that'll get the job any day done for me at quarterback. I mean, he's, he's not the best thrower, but he is a strong runner, and he definitely showed that was his strength the other night. And uh, as well as that, Benny Snell, 175 yards. And uh, you can't ask for more than that from your running back. And a very strong performance on the ground for the Cats. And I was very happy with that. And I know we were talking about it before we came on. And I was like, everybody's talking about Terry Wilson. But my goodness, Benny Snell once again was exceptional. He has just been the rock for this Wildcats team. And it seems like every single week, no matter what the result of the game is, Benny Snell shows up and he shows up big time. One guy that didn't quite show up, though, Felipe Franks for the Gators, and going into this matchup, I think one thing that people identified, you know, going into the game as a strength for Florida was the quarterback matchup between Wilson and Franks. And quite honestly, I think Terry Wilson won it. I think so too, Tyler. And uh, what we saw is, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Terry Wilson, not the strongest passer, but we did see some improvement in this game. Terry Wilson delivered some deep balls that I was very impressed with. Uh, Lynn Bowden scored his first touchdown. In his career as a Wildcat, that was very impressive. And David Bouvier as well scored his first touchdown as a Wildcat. And congrats to him as well on getting a scholarship this year. It's uh, very impressive to see those walk-on guys get scholarships and work their way up. I was, I was very impressed with the offense overall. And Coach Stoops, I think, did a heck of a job Saturday. And immediately after the game was over, I went to Twitter. Because basically the first place that I go after anything happens is Twitter to see what's going on. And I myself tweeted out that this game, I think, has won – coach Stoops probably five more years on his contract and I, I even said as a matter of fact he might just be coach for life now after this one which I, I think as it goes on he's going to have to obviously do more to earn that but just winning this game I feel like has earned him the respect from Wildcats fans and that athletic department moving forward for a while especially when the team was kind of just they were kind of just trending towards mediocrity they'd had a few seasons where they were just winning seven you know, seven, six games, just trying to get bowl eligible after every single season. So do you think this win could be what it takes to propel the Wildcats to maybe go into that next level where they can constantly try to win eight, nine games a year and try to get into one of those higher level bowl games? You know, Tyler, I will tell you, I'm the first to say that I was not the biggest fan of Mark Stoops even going into this game Saturday. And, and what we saw Saturday was a coach that was determined to change the program, and that he did Saturday. That was a program-changing win. And to me, 
a lot of people are probably going to get at me for saying this, but Mark Stoops solidified himself in Kentucky football history with that win on Saturday. I mean, it's not often that you see a coach, obviously, that has won in 31 years, especially in the swamp, and that's impressive in itself. And the way he won that game, too, was impressive. I saw a lot of good coaching decisions that I usually don't see from Stoops, and I was very impressed with that win overall, and I think Coach Stoops is going to have plenty more years in the blue and white. I mean, the more that I look at that win, the more that I look back and try to figure out when's the last time Kentucky had as big of a win as this one. And, of course, the first one that comes to mind is finally beating Tennessee, but I feel like this one more so is closer to when they beat LSU back in the 06-07 season when LSU went on to win the national championship. I feel like this is closer to that because – this Florida team, as great as Tennessee has been historically, I think Florida is just one of those that is on another level in terms of when sure. you look at college football, who are your powerhouses, who are your quote-unquote blue blood programs, kind of like in college basketball. You think of Florida. They're a team that comes to mind when you look at that. And now that Kentucky has beaten them and you look at how Tennessee has kind of fallen off in the past few years, Vanderbilt, kind like they're kind of trying to trend upwards. Missouri seems to be stuck in a rut. South Carolina just took a big loss to Georgia, a huge step back for them. So do you think this Kentucky team could possibly move in there as that second team in the SEC East? Because obviously Georgia's on another level right now. Georgia, they're just above everyone else in that SEC East division in terms of talent, in terms of recruiting. But do you think Kentucky has what it takes at least this season to be that number two team in the division? From what I saw Saturday, I would have to say so. I mean, I saw a Kentucky team that I have not seen in the past six years of Coach Stoops coaching that football team. I saw good coaching decisions. I saw overcoming adversity. I saw strong defense. I saw a great front seven up front putting pressure on the quarterback all game long. I saw a quarterback who overcame two turnovers in the first half, and that was impressive in itself. A lot of people wanted to bench him coming out of the first half against Florida because they wanted a victory so bad. But I think what we saw – is the development of this program coming into its own. And I think what we're going to see the rest of the season is we're going to see this program turn a corner and we're going to see a Kentucky team like we haven't seen in years. And what I really think is, I think coming down to the last few games of the season, Kentucky has a home game against Georgia. And I think at that point in the season, I'm not saying Kentucky's going to be undefeated. I'm not saying they're even going to have one loss. But I will tell you, that game is going to be a huge game, not only for Kentucky, not only for the SEC, but in the nation. I will guarantee you that Kentucky will be ranked going into that game, and they will give Georgia a run for their money that game, and they will solidify themselves as one of the elite contenders in the SEC East. I think Kentucky really in this next set of games after Murray State. They've got Murray State this Saturday. Obviously, they should win that game. Right now, they're right outside of the top 25 but they've got a set of games right after that Murray State game, which obviously when you play in the SEC, it feels like every set of games is a difficult and challenging set of games. But right after Murray State, the Saturday after that, they've got Mississippi State at home. Right now, Mississippi State, number 16 in the country. They've got Nick Fitzpatrick back there at quarterback. They looked very impressive against Kansas State. And then after that, they've got South Carolina at home. So two really big games where the Wildcats can prove themselves. And then the next Saturday, they go to Texas A&M. So a trio of games for Kentucky heading up to their bye week, at home against Mississippi State, at home against South Carolina, and at Texas A&M, where if you can come out of there, I would just say you win two of those three games, and I think your prediction about them being ranked would be correct. If they can beat two of those three teams, it's hard to envision them beating all three. It's certainly possible, sure. considering what we just saw against Florida, but... If they could beat two of those three teams, I could really see them being in there for the second spot in the SEC East. And then looking ahead after that, they've got Vanderbilt at home, so that's certainly a winnable game. They go to Missouri, another winnable game. And then, as you mentioned, the game against Georgia at home. And it's certainly a possibility that Kentucky could be in that game with one loss, maybe two. And if they come into that game, say they come into it, like you said, um, you said undefeated, right? They would come into that game. Well, possibly. Possibly, they certainly yeah. could. But it, let's say it's they possible. come in. Let's say they come in with one loss. You know, let's let's just say one loss, and they come out there and they only lose by two touchdowns. Let's say they keep it competitive until the fourth quarter, lose by two touchdowns, maybe ten points, and then they go to Tennessee. They beat them home game against Middle Tennessee State. You expect them to win that one. If they go to Louisville, you go into that Louisville game on the road with two losses. I mean, that's. That's a pretty good opportunity to finish the season off with 10 wins. It's certainly a possibility looking at the schedule that they could win 10 games. And I'm going to be honest with you. I saw the SEC Network predicted them to go 8-4, and four, and I, I thought it was a joke. 
I really did. I looked at the schedule and I said, I, they're going to struggle to win six games. But now seeing them perform like they get it, did against Florida, I think that, like you said, they certainly have a chance to prove themselves this season. I certainly think so, Tyler. And I think what it really comes down to is you Kentucky fans that are out there listening to this, we need your support all season long. The Cats need your support. Coach Stoops needs your support. And we need you at Kroger Field every Saturday you can get there to support the Cats. Pack that stadium every Saturday and support your Cats because this is a different football program we're witnessing this season. And now it's time for this week's edition of Harry's Heisman Hopefuls. Harrison, you're coming at us again. Last week you gave us the same segment. You had five guys for us last week, so let's hear what you've got for us this week. Well, i got to say I've got three new additions this week. Three new additions? Okay, a lot of turnover. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I went back and looked at the ones that I said last week. I was looking at their stats that they had this weekend. Not as as, as impressed as I was the first week. I think they're going to get better, though. They're still on ESPN's Heisman Watch, but I'm not listening to ESPN. This is, this is what I this think. Is this is pure Harry's this, Heisman hopefuls. This is what I think, yeah. So I'm going to start off with Tua Tagovailoa. I, am do not, I, I know it's Tua, but is that how you say his last Tua name? Tua Tagovailoa. Tua Tagovailoa. Tua Tagovailoa. We're just going to call him Tua. Tua. Harrison I, cannot pronounce anyone's name. I'm, I'm very, very sorry, Tua, if you're listening right now. But as SEC fans and Alabama fans know, he's the quarterback for Alabama. And usually, quarterback offense, defense, Alabama's all around a very good team. It's kind of right. no surprise that he's on my Heisman hopeful for this week. Against Arkansas State, a very, very easy win for Alabama. He had 228 passing yards and four touchdowns and looking at his season totals for only the first two games he has 455 passing yards and six touchdowns that's very impressive those are pretty good numbers early games. season yes. very two first two games and I think he's going to be he's going to be in the top three of the Heisman this year from looking at those stats and they play Ole Miss next week so that's going to be that, that's an SEC game probably another easy win for the for the for the Crimson Tide it should possibly. be looking at yeah. Ole Miss's defense they should have an opportunity especially for Tua himself to really rack up some numbers and help his case Yes, definitely, definitely. Now we move on from SEC over to Oklahoma, where I got, I thought his name was Kyle at first. I didn't see the R, but it's (laughs) Kyler Murray, quarterback for Oklahoma, 306 passing yards and three touchdowns. Now, I didn't get this part, but who who was it that Oklahoma played this weekend? Last week, they played some cupcake, just to put it lightly. They played some cupcake. They were able to just roll over. Another another not... Very not very good team. team. No, yeah, Kyler yeah. was just. It's, able it's to only been the stats. second week, so we'll we'll they'll play start playing bigger games once the season goes on. But he had 306 passing yards and three touchdowns, and I liked what I saw from 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 the those stats. And this was a guy that you actually recommended to me. Yeah, I for. really yeah. like watching him play. He's really looking good there in Baker Mayfield's old role. They really hyped him up coming into the season. He bypassed the MLB to come back and play one more season of college football, and so far he has really lived up to that hype. Really pushing the Sooners into that college football playoff conversation yeah definitely definitely I think we're going to see a lot more from him this weekend it's especially to follow in those footsteps of Baker Mayfield to be just that's that's very impressive and as a last new uh Heisman hopeful I will go back to my to a couple that I said from next week but last for new wise this is probably the most impressive this is Dwayne Haskins for Ohio State University I'm going to go back to I looked at his stats from the first game against Oregon State, and then their 55-0 and zero win, I believe it was, against the Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Against Oregon State, he threw for 313 passing yards and five touchdowns. And against the Rutgers on Saturday, it was 233 passing yards and four touchdowns. Adding those up, that for just for those first two games of this season, that's 546 passing yards. Okay, good math. And that's nine touchdowns. That's pretty good. That's that's insane for the first for the first two games. So, I'm I'm I've never been a big Ohio State guy, really. Um, Obviously I, not as a heartbroken Florida fan. Very very true. Very true. Yeah yeah. I'm not going to go into too many details because it's only about Heisman hopefuls, but between him and Tua, that I am very very impressed with both of those stats, especially in the first two games of the season. I think it's going to be top three wise. Or, or should I do my older ones first? And yeah, then bring in your, yeah, okay. bring in yeah, your yeah, guys yeah, that you've yeah, got yeah. left from last week. Yeah, definitely. But I'm going to definitely keep track more of Dwayne Haskins and Tua. I'm sorry. I will try to get that last name right. Next up, uh, it's uh, Will Greer, of course. Quarterback I figured he would Western be back. Union. I was really of hoping course. he'd be in there. Why, why wouldn't I bring him back? You know, he did great. He, against, uh, he played YSU 
this weekend, which is Youngstown State. Youngstown State, yes. Fighting Penguins. 332 passing yards, four touchdowns. They play NC State next. And looking up his season stats again from the UT game and this game, 761 passing yards and also nine touchdowns. Nine touchdowns like Dwayne Haskins, but just 200, about 200 yards more than uh, Dwayne Haskins from OSU. So both of these guys have like almost similar, similar football stats, which mm-hmm. I think is very impressive and I think will be interesting in determining who the top three will be during, for, the, uh, for the Heisman. And last but definitely not least... Good old Jonathan Taylor running back for Wisconsin. They played UNM this weekend. He had 33 attempts, 253 rushing yards, and three touchdowns. And they played BYU next. And season stats, 51 attempts, 398 yards, five touchdowns. That is absolutely ridiculous. I'm still sitting here shaking my head at the New Mexico stats. And that should make Western Kentucky feel good about how they were able to quote-unquote contain him to less than 150 yards in that game. Yes, definitely. So those were Harry's Heisman hopefuls. They've switched up a bit from last week, but hopefully those guys can have a good week this week to remain there on next week's edition of Harry's Heisman hopefuls. But now it's time for a new segment that is probably the complete opposite from Harry's Heisman hopefuls because in that segment, Harry does a lot of research trying to get good stats and information on his guys. This is the complete opposite. So this is going to be titled natural selection this week we have in miss natalie turner who has allowed us to come in here from revolution 91.7 and record in the studio and she's here mostly because she knows absolutely nothing about sports and that is the qualification for this so what i am going to do is give natalie five games and for those five games she is just going to pick the winner strictly off of the mascot that is all the info she gets she gets no record no ranking no nothing she just gets the two mascots. So, That's Natalie. That's all I need, man. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First game the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors versus the Army Black Knights. So, I, I definitely know nothing about either of these teams, but uh, I do. I am actually an apprentice swordsman. So, I'm using the fact that they're knights. You know, I, I do have some expertise okay. in knighthood. So, I feel like the knights are clearly trained i mean they made it to knighthood you know they know something of what they're doing right the warriors though a warrior's a little bit more ambiguous you know like all you kind of do is they could just be beating people with sticks right but a knight he's got like a long sword he's got like <laughs> he's got like a like a like a messer or something like he knows what he's about so i gotta say army black knights and an army too yeah it's an, an entire army. army of black knights so as powerful as the rainbow is i kind of think the knights got this one okay so game one nat's got the black knights game two though the arizona state sun devils versus the san diego state aztecs all right so they're both state Yes. Um, I think a Sun Devil is a pretty cool name, and like I would not be opposed to naming something a Sun Devil <laughs> in general. But I think Aztecs are qualified to like deal with devils. I mean, you know, I am not an expert on Aztec culture, but they did all kinds of like rituals for the gods and whatnot. And I feel like when you're dealing with religious aspects, you know, if you have rights of sacrifice to gain favor with the gods, I think you can probably, you know, get rid of some devils. So I got to go with the Aztecs. So you're taking having favor to the sun gods to get rid of the sun devils is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so she's got the Aztecs in that one over the sun devils. Next up, the Campbell Fighting Camels versus the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Um, Which, to clarify, a Chanticleer is a rooster primarily found in fairy tales. A Chanticleer. I've never heard of that in my life. Um, One question I have, Campbell fighting camels? That kind of makes it sound like the camels are fighting Campbell. You know, like this is a Campbell fighting camel. No, it's just a camel that's trained to fight. Okay. Well, fighting camel, I mean... It, there's no indication that the Chanticleers have any training whatsoever. Campbell's got this. Okay, so the fighting Campbells over the fairy roosters. Now, I was really interested in what you'd say on this one. The Toledo Rockets versus the Miami Hurricanes. I think I'm, I have my answer in my heart, but I'm going to talk it out. So a lot of rockets are launched from Florida. Okay. You know, and they got to make sure those conditions are perfect, which to me says, you know, weather conditions and all that. Yeah. That, to me, says that they'd be pretty concerned if a hurricane came their way. 
Um, and I don't think that a rocket, as, as expensive and powerful as it is, could handle a hurricane. So I think the hurricanes are going to... They're gonna rocket. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. oh my. Uh, you so you're just taking the rockets because the hurricane would prevent the rocket from launching. So yeah, the, the hurricanes, hurricanes are winning. The hurricanes yeah. win. Okay. In that fight. Okay, last one. <laughs> I told you beforehand. I picked this one just because it's gonna be very difficult for you to pick. The LSU Tigers versus the Auburn Tigers. And their names are Mike and. There Auburn. is Mike the Tiger for LSU, and then I'll be the Tiger from Auburn. And to add a little bit more to this. The LSU Tiger mascot is actually a real-life tiger. But then I'll be the tiger is just a guy in a tiger suit. But then they also mm. have a war eagle on their side. So it's a real tiger versus a guy in a tiger suit and an eagle that's trained for war. All right, so I'm going to take this very literally. I think I, my initial reaction was to go with Aubie because that's kind of a weird name, and I feel like he'd probably be pretty strong from having gotten bullied all his life for being named Aubie. Um, but now that I know that Mike is a real tiger, I think the advantage is for him because I feel like there are people on this planet that could definitely fend off a tiger, you know, especially if they had a war eagle. Yeah. But at the end of the day, this is just a guy in a costume, and I really don't think he's specially trained other than to, like, amuse children and, you know, dance and, you know, like that one song they play that's like, everybody dance now like he I know, think he everyone knows, knows that really, song yeah you know that one he's really good at that but i don't think he's good at fighting tigers i think he'd probably just take the head off and run okay so, so according to natalie this week take army over hawaii take san diego state over arizona state take i think you went with the fighting camels right take yes. campbell over coastal carolina mm -hmm. take miami over toledo and then ultimately you're taking the real tiger over the guy in the tiger suit so lsu is going to beat Auburn. Thank you, Natalie, for joining us for this week's episode of Natural Selection. Happy to share my expertise. So speaking of LSU and Auburn, there are some really big games coming up in the college football world. One of those, of course, number 12, LSU at number 7, Auburn. Now that we throw the rankings in there instead of just looking at the mascots to try to get more of a view on that game. A few games, though, already canceled. That is due to Hurricane Florence coming up the East Coast. Those games, number 14, West Virginia, was scheduled to play at NC State, and then number 18, UCF, was scheduled to go to North Carolina. So those two games already canceled. Uh, hopefully everyone is safe from that. I've got some relatives up in that area, so just you know, send your, uh, send your thoughts and prayers if you're that type towards that area. Hope everybody's okay. Uh, if you're there, try to get away from that, obviously. But going back to football, this coming week we've got BYU at number 6, Wisconsin, Number 17, Boise State, plays number 24, Oklahoma Oklahoma State. That's going to be a really good game. Alabama, still number one in the country. They go to Ole Miss. Number 22, USC, goes to Texas. That game probably would have been a lot bigger week one. Texas not looking quite like we thought they would at the beginning of the season. And then the biggest game of the week probably, besides the LSU-Auburn game, will be number four, Ohio State, traveling to 15 TCU. That game, of course, will feature Ohio State not being coached by Urban Meyer. He's still out indefinitely. Or I think it's three-game suspension that he has. He's out for three games with the suspension. Ohio State so far has fared pretty well without him so far this season. But that'll be a tough matchup for them. Looking locally, of course, we touched on WKU going to Louisville. That'll be a very tough matchup for the Hilltoppers. And then Kentucky will host Murray State in what looks like a pretty winnable game. For the Wildcats. So that's a pretty big, pretty big week in college football coming up. Those are the games you should be watching for. And with that, it's time for us to move on to looking at what was week one of the NFL season and start looking towards the rest of the year after what we've seen from these teams in the first week of the NFL. Finally coming off the first week of regular season play in the NFL. A lot of notable results from the league in the first week. The Browns in their losing streak, but don't start a winning streak. Tie with the Steelers. Patrick Mahomes for the Chiefs comes out and makes a huge statement against my Super Bowl runner-up pick, the Chargers. And Sam Darnold came out there for the Jets and had a very successful debut on Monday Night Football. 
And then, of course, there is the disaster that was the Titans season opener at Miami. The Titans fell to the Dolphins 27-20 in that game. It was the longest game since the NFL-AFL merger. The game lasted 7 hours and 10 minutes thanks to multiple weather delays. And Harrison, I tried to watch as much of the game as I possibly could, but it was very difficult to stick with it through all of those weather delays. I flipped to that game, and then I found the Colts and the Bengals game to be much more entertaining than that game. Because let's be honest, I mean, that, that that Titans game was the same length of me working a retail shift in a grocery <laughs> store. I mean, li- literally, I mean, I, I feel kind of sad for Titans and my uh, Titans and Dolphins fans for sitting through that long of a game. I think I think I read, too, that the first or the last time that that happened was in like 1970. I mean, yeah, it's like the that. longest game since 1970 when they had the merger. Ago. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah. It broke the previous record just to put this into perspective. By almost two hours. The old record was five hours and 16 minutes, and that was set in 2013, and that was a game between the Bears and the Ravens. So they smashed the old record. Um, Not the best record to have. And if you're Titans fans, that entire seven hours plus some was filled with frustration. Oh, lots. A lot of frustration. their, Their offense was definitely struggling. I mean, I don't think Mariota played well. He's also injured. I think... From looking at the box score, Gabbert, who is the second stringer, I think he's probably going to take over for Mariota. I don't know any updates on Mariota's uh, industry injury. (laughs) They both sound alike. But I feel like if Mariota is out for the season, then Gabbert will have to step up to the game and take over for him as starting quarterback. And looking at their stats, they're they're pretty. They were pretty similar. I mean, they did no one. None of them threw any touchdowns. Mariota threw a couple interceptions while Gabbert only threw one and then they only threw Gabbert only threw for 117 yards while Mariota only threw for 103 so their stats are kind of similar it seems like they were they were both pretty similar during that first game but I I, I think if Mariota is out for the season then Gabbert is definitely going to step up his game if he wants this this pro this team to do well I mean Mariota should be back pretty soon he shouldn't be out for that long I don't think it's that severe of an injury but I can't say from the little that I watched of the game. I watched the drive when um, Mariota first came out and Gabbert came in. And the offense for one drive, it was just one drive, they looked completely different. They drove yeah, down, they, they scored. Uh, just in that one drive, I was like, oh my goodness, Gabbert looks great. And then came everything after that, and Blaine Gabbert started to look like Blaine Gabbert. But, but aside from that, people are actually blaming the referees for this loss, a everybody, lot of Titans fans. Everybody always blames the referees. Of course. Now, I will say they, um, they've they got some good reasoning for it. There were a lot of missed calls um, going that went against the Titans. There were some questionable calls that went against the Titans. Um, I've seen something about the officiating crew. I'm not sure exactly what their names are, but it's like the Titans are 0-7 the last seven times that they've had this officiating crew, which right, I mean... yeah. You can't blame the officials. Maybe, maybe they need a new officiating. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe they need yeah. to just request <laughs> never to have these guys officiating Please a Titans game again. do not refer this game again. Go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. Go to another AFC South rival. <laughs> Give us somebody else. I mean, there was a hit on Taylor Lewan. It was after Mariota threw an interception, and it was a huge crackback block on Taylor Lewan, and it gave him a concussion. And there were like five flags out there, and I'm like, surely this dude's about to get flagged for this. But all of the flags were for unsportsmanlike conduct after the play. So, I mean... From a coach perspective and a fan perspective, I can kind of understand being upset with that. Yeah, definitely. But at the same time, you you never really lose the games because of the officiating, no matter how one-sided that you think it is no. in any situation. No, definitely not. It's like, of course, people always blame the refs, and I think we talked about we've we've already talked about this earlier and in the last episode. But you can't. Yes, the refs are going to be annoying, but you can't you can't blame them. It's how the defense plays. It's how the offense plays. It's how the coaches. Tr- uh, it's it's how the coaches it's what these coaches tell these players to do and how to win the these games and everything and that's I mean the referees are just there to I don't know yeah to do their jobs do their jobs I don't yeah know I mean they're, they're, they're just there to try to do their jobs and yeah. with officiating there's opinion in there like you're the one making the calls there's nothing there's set in stone it's not yeah. it's not like a computer sees something that registers that this should be a penalty and it's automatically a penalty there's going to be human error no matter what way you look at it but the biggest I think thing that Titans fans should be worried about coming out of this game is certainly Delaney Walker's season-ending injury. He's going to be out for the remainder of the regular season. They've maybe started looking at some stuff to say he might be able to come back in like week 15 or week 16, but they always say that and it always turns out that they're just out for the rest of the season. 
So the Titans offense is really going to have to find some ways to get things going because Delaney Walker has always been the one constant, it feels like, in that offense. Week after week, he has performed. And now without him, there's going to be a lot more weight put on the receivers. They didn't have a great game. The running backs, Deion Lewis had a really good game. Derrick Henry, not so much. It started to look like Deion Lewis was out there in a lot of the situations that you would see Derrick Henry. I saw more from Deion Lewis than I did from from Derrick Henry. And knowing Derrick Henry, I think I think he should have. Set, I, I think I think he's going to have to step up his game too. And also because Delaney Walker is out, they may mean, that may also mean that there's going to be more focus on Taewon Taylor because yeah. he, he did pretty good for the Titans last year. Uh, he was yeah. he's really good. He's really versatile. He can come out of the backfield and run the ball. He's quick on those short routes. He could take some of Delaney's roles that he had. Delaney runs a lot of underneath routes. So Taewon will take some of those, all of those receivers, especially Corey Davis, the top five draft pick that the Titans took. A lot of hype around him. He's really going to have to come out there and prove his status as a top draft pick. But looking ahead for the Titans, it does not get any easier. They host the Texans next Sunday. That's going to be they put a, up a tough game. game. They put up a game against the, the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, Sunday. it's crazy to think about that. The, I liked what I saw. Yeah, yeah Deshaun Watson yeah. didn't even play well in the first half, and he no, came out there no. in the second half and lit the Patriots up. And I, I chose that game as the game that I thought would be the most interesting because I was just really intrigued by seeing him back on the football field, and he did not disappoint. It seemed like in the second half he really started to get things going, and this is a Titans defense that just gave up a decent amount of points to an offense led by Ryan Tannehill, and they couldn't stop Frank Gore. No, So now Gore you've got Deshaun Watson, yeah. and you've got Lamar Miller, and you've got DeAndre Hopkins on the outside, and if you couldn't, you couldn't really stop a Miami Dolphins offense, what are you going to do against a Houston Texans offense that has way more playmakers out there than the Dolphins did? Along with the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. Yeah, I mean, if, we, well. if you look at all of the AFC South, the Titans are really in a rough spot. Um, looking after that game. But it's hard to take too much out of Week 1. You Like we talked about with the Western Kentucky main game, you can't just you know call out that the season is completely over after one game, given different circumstances, certainly from each game. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a difference between losing to an FCS team and losing on the road against a, a pretty good Dolphins team. Not a great Dolphins team by any stretch, but I mean, they're, they're an okay football team. They're not terrible or anything. But there's just a limited amount that you can take away from one week. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So from a disappointing week one from the Titans, we move on to what would be, I guess, described as an excellent first night of football for the Los Angeles Rams. We've got Casey back here with us. Like I like we've talked about in the past, he is a huge Rams fan. I don't know if we mentioned that earlier, but for those of you that know Casey, he loves his Rams. He's actually wearing a Rams shirt right now as we're recording That's right. this. Um but, I mean, there's no other way to describe the way that they played, but dominant. I mean, that defense really lived up to the billing, it seemed like, on Monday night. Uh, yeah, I would definitely have to say so. I was really impressed with the defense. You know, they were putting pressure on Derek Carr all night. You know, to start, they kind of gave up an early touchdown on that first drive. But uh, what can you say from a rusty defense that didn't get to play their starters at all throughout the preseason? I mean, and, and when you look at the offense coming off, kind of just – all they have to do is complement that defense because they know that most opponents that they play, that defense is going to be able to carry them to victory. But it seemed like after the first half, Jared Goff really started to settle in there at the quarterback position. He did, and I was really impressed with his play in the second half. Uh, as I saw in the first half, you know, he really didn't get too many solid completions in there, and he wasn't real consistent, but as the game proceeded on, he showed that he had composure in the pocket. The line protected him well, and he used that to his advantage. Uh, Robert Woods looked pretty good. Brandon Cooks looked good in his first game as a Ram. Five receptions for 87 yards. Cooper Cup looked solid out there. Five receptions, 52 yards, and a touchdown. And Todd Gurley a receiving touchdown as well. I mean, you talk about those three receivers, and they're a trio that I talked about in the last episode that I think is probably the best trio of receivers in the NFL right now. I just don't know... Any other set of receivers that just is all around as balanced as those three, they can do everything. Each of them can line up on the outside, but then each of them can also line up on the inside in the slot. That's correct, yeah. Cooper Cup, I'd say, is a solid number three receiver, one of the best you'll find in the league. Uh, Brandon Cooks was a great addition in the offseason, definitely a great trade there. And uh, Robert Woods as well. He was really a, a big surprise last season, and he continues to so- show so far this season that he's going to be a great addition to that offense. And when you watch that game, it, you couldn't help but think about how much the Raiders at that point were probably missing Khalil Mack. I mean, he went out there on Sunday night 
and just straight up showed out for the Bears in that game against the Packers. I mean, interception, return, touchdown. He had a fumble recovery that he forced himself. I mean, he went went out there and had a heck of a game, and it just seemed like over the course of the game, as, as much as people hyped up the return of John Gruden, it seemed like Sean McVay outcoached him as the game went on. I would definitely have to agree on that, Tyler. Uh, Sean McVay, he's a very good young coach, and we can see he's he's actually one of uh, John Gruden's uh, guys that he coached mm-hmm. under, so he's in that coaching tree, and it see, we see that he used that to an, his advantage and used a lot of John Gruden's skills to his advantage and actually changed them a little bit. So Sean McVay definitely outcoached Sean Gruden, I'd say, in that game. Nothing against the Raiders, of course. I think they will continue to develop as the season goes on. You know, his first regular season game back, so maybe a little rusty there. But Sean McVay definitely showed that the offense is going to be solid again this year, and the defense was definitely outstanding as well. And you you talk about the Raiders developing as the year goes on. Harrison certainly hoping that they do so. He picked them to go to the Super Bowl. Um, Wow. Both of our AFC picks did not look great in week one, but I would say the Chargers looked a little better than the Raiders. Although in the first half, it looked like the Raiders really had a good shot at winning this game. Derek Carr came out and looked great, but then by the time the game was over, he had thrown for over 300 yards, but he did not have one passing touchdown, but rather had three interceptions. So it just seemed like, as we saw from this defense last season, it seems like over the course of the game, they were able to adjust to what Gruden was doing and really almost, you could say, exposed Derek Carr. Oh, that's definitely true, Tyler. Uh, in the first half, you know, those first couple drives, Marshawn Lynch looked pretty solid. Derek Carr looked solid on that first drive. But as the game developed, uh, Derek Carr just did not look the same. He did not look like his normal self. He threw a couple interceptions there that just weren't even close. I mean, there was one in the second half where the receiver apparently had ran a wrong route or something mm-hmm. like that, and and that ball just went straight into the hands of the defender, and that – That just did not go well over for Derek Carr in the second half. Uh, Marcus Peters had a pick six to end the game. That was really solid. Uh, John Johnson ended up with an interception in the end zone that changed the momentum of the game. That was solid. And a lot of pressure was being put on Derek Carr from that front seven we saw. You know, like we've talked about, of course, things can change. You know, we referenced that with the Titans-Dolphins game. Things can change from game one going into the rest of the season. So, I mean, who knows? The Raiders could end up in the Super Bowl. I mean, I mean, who who knows? It could be the Browns and the Lions could go out there and play wow. in the Super Bowl. Uh, highly unlikely. Do not take that to the bank. <laughs> uh, the Lions not. did not look very good against the Jets. But looking at some key matchups in Week 2, we've got some really good ones. We talked about the Texans at the Titans. There's also the Chiefs going to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. The Vikings will go to Green Bay to take on the Packers. And then the Patriots get another tough matchup with an AFC South opponent, They go down to Jacksonville to take on the Jaguars. So, Casey, just out of those four matchups, which one do you think will be the must-watch game of the week if you're an NFL fan? I believe the must-watch matchup of that week, without a doubt, will be Vikings-Packers. I think in that game, we will begin to see who's going to be the front-runner in that division. We saw in Week 1 that Aaron Rodgers had a very impressive game where he left the game with an injury, and a lot of people were worried about that. But he proceeded to come back into the game and lead them to victory in a very shocking comeback. And uh, we saw why Aaron Rodgers deserved that contract, and that was a very impressive game from him. And uh, we also saw a pretty good outing by the Vikings in Week 1 against the Niners. That was a pretty good win over a a hyped-up Niners team that a lot of people think are going to be successful this year. So I think we'll be able to see who's going to be the front-runner in the NFC North from that game. So uh, definitely look for Minnesota versus... Green Bay in week two you know and a lot of people had hyped up as we talked about Khalil Mack going to the Bears and that Chicago defense but this Vikings defense is going to be on another level they bring back a lot of what they had last year one of the best units in the NFL they've also got Kirk Cousins at quarterback you will hear me say over and over again I think he is the most underrated quarterback in the NFL he's done a pretty good job there so far in week one had an excellent first game of the season for Minnesota but as I look at the schedule I am really intrigued by this game where Kansas City goes to Pittsburgh. I am really, really worried about this Steelers team because I feel like if the Chiefs come in there and play like they get, did against the Chargers, and like I said, I had the Chargers going to the Super Bowl, but they came out there and put up 38 points on a defense that I thought might be one of the most complete in the AFC. And we know this Steelers defense has a lot of holes in it, and it looks like the Chiefs with Mahomes under center now are going to be able to exploit it. And Casey, I'm wondering, you know, we saw the progression 
for Jared Goff in year two. What do you think? What do you think about what we're seeing so far? Of course, only one game, but what do you think about what we're seeing so far from Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City? Uh, that was a really impressive Week One game. Uh, I think Patrick Mahomes was a great draft pick by the Chiefs last season. A lot of people didn't think, you know, that was too smart of a draft pick by them, seeing as they had Alex Smith. But uh, he showed in week one he's definitely got some potential, and we'll definitely see in week two what he's got against the Steelers. The Steelers, no matter what they did in week one, are never a pushover as far as Mike Tomlin is the coach. And uh, Patrick Mahomes definitely showed that he's, he's able in week one. And uh, if he comes out there and shows again in week two that he can do that with the W over the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think we'll be in for a good season for Patrick Mahomes, maybe an offensive rookie of the year season. Oh, some big hype up for Patrick Mahomes. He did look fantastic in week one for the Chiefs. The Steelers, of course, having some turmoil, it seems like, with this whole Le'Veon Bell situation, although James Conner coming and filling in for him was just fantastic. It's fantastic to see him doing well. He's had a well-known battle with cancer, overcame that, and now he's here, and he looks like he's going to be a great NFL player, but that's going to be it for this week's coverage of the NFL. Casey, thank you so much for joining us and giving some info on the Rams and then helping us to look forward to this week two of the NFL regular season. Thank you, Tyler. Great for being on here. Now we'll move from the gridiron to your phone. It's time for us to talk fantasy. So we've got Harrison back here with me now. He's in his chair. We've got Casey headed out the door. He did a fantastic job joining us. He's our second guest ever. Technically, Natalie beat him. Wait, no. He went first. He went before Natalie, right? Yes. He, yeah, yeah, okay, so but he went Natalie. before Natalie. Yes. So, we, so I guess he was first and third, so that averages out to second, and thus I'm right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> basically, we've had two guests on the show already, and this is only our second episode, and I think that's... Uh, well, two guests in one episode. Right, yeah, so which I mean... Makes it pretty, yeah. And of course, we always want more guests, especially our guys here at WKU, so if you got something... Guys and gals, guys and gals, yes, if you've got something yes. you want to say, reach out to us and we'll get you on, but right now it's time for us to talk fantasy football Harrison this week we both pulled out big wins yes we did both games actually came down to the Rams Raiders game late on Monday night I was totally reliant on Brandon Cooks to win my game Harrison was totally reliant on Todd Gurley to win his game and boy did he boy did he I am so glad I did not trade this guy and I picked this guy up it was a Todd Gurley, if you're listening right now, thank you. Thank you. And I'm keep, sure keep, Todd Gurley's listening. Keep keep up the good work, man. Keep it up. Keep it up. I don't think he needs you to tell him to. Todd Gurley, <laughs> an excellent game from him. So it is time for our fantasy roll of the dice this week. I'm changing it up a little bit. Um, Instead of going one through six, I'm just going to give you one guy at each position, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and then I'm going to give an overall flex player added on there. For those of you that don't know, a flex is a running back, wide receiver, or tight end, so it's just kind of like an extra guy to help you out. Just to let you know that I might be pretty good at this, not to toot my own horn or anything, but um, uh, I actually had Joe Mixon, if you guys were listening last week, as the number one guy to gamble on in fantasy. And Harrison, do you want to guess if he did well? Did he do well? I think he did do well. He scored... 25.9 25.9 points last week. That's so if that's you were listening impressive. and you followed my advice and you put Joe Mixon in there, you're welcome. You're very welcome. Um, so this <laughs> you week, heard it from Tyler Eaton. <laughs> yes, you heard it from me. This week, we're going to go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, flex. Like I said, my quarterback to gamble on this week, I've got Phillip Rivers. He's matched up against the Bills. They just gave up 47 points to the Ravens, and that's with Joe Flacco at quarterback. They gave up 21.7 fantasy points to him. He racked up 236 yards and three touchdowns. So this week, despite the fact that the Chargers lost last week against the Chiefs, a very disappointing game for me personally, Phillip played pretty well in that one, and I think he's due for another good performance in this game coming up against the Bills. My running back, this week is Adrian Peterson. Harrison, he had a fantastic game coming back for the Redskins. He looked great, I thought. It looked like he turned back the clock to 2007, 2008. Back in those good old Minnesota Viking days. Oh my goodness, back when he was probably undisputedly the top running back in the league. He looked pretty good coming back. He had 22.6 fantasy points, given that was against the Cardinals. But he had 96 rushing yards and a touchdown, caught a few passes, 
And his matchup this week is against that Colts defense that just gave up all those points to Joe Mixon. Poor old Colts just have not been able to shore up that defense over the past few years. So take Adrian Peterson, put him in your lineup if you can for sure. Now, my wide receiver. I had to put a lot of thought into this one. And this is going to sound a little biased because this guy is on my team. I'm taking Josh Gordon as my wide receiver. Wide receiver. I can't even spit it out. Wide receivered. <laughs> wide receivered. Wide receivered. My wide receiver to go. gamble on this week. It's very simple. They play the Saints. And the Saints just got torched by Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I don't care about Ryan Fitzmagic. I don't care what you say about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't care how smart he is. I don't care about his scores on the test. I don't care about any of that, okay? He's not a good quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick is an interception machine, okay? Let's just go and establish that. Ryan Fitzpatrick is not a very good quarterback, and he just led an offense that put up 42 points on the Saints defense. And if it sounds like I'm angry, it's because I started the Saints defense and they put up negative nine fantasy points for me and almost <laughs> single-handedly cost me my first game of the season. So if I sound a bit upset with you, Sean Payton and crew, it's because for some reason you managed to give up all those points to Ryan Fitzpatrick. And because you did that, I think Josh Gordon is going to light you up as well. In fact, I hope he does because I could start you again this week. You've got the Browns as your matchup. Usually when you have the defense playing the Browns, you keep them in your lineup, but I'm not going to do it. Should be that they'd be scared to play the Browns after now the Browns' 16-game losing streak is broken after that tie, that very surprising tie with the Steelers. Well, yeah, they ended the losing streak. They didn't start a winning streak. Nope, nope. So, because of that, because of your performance for me last week in New Orleans, I am now putting you on the watch list to have someone, a.k.a. Josh Gordon, Put up a big performance against your defense. He's my wide receiver. Roll of the dice this week. Rant over about the Sands defense. And we will move on to my extra flex that I've got in here. And I had him in my fantasy roll of the dice last week. He kind of delivered. He was in double digits. He didn't have a great game or anything. But Lamar Miller is my flex to play this week. He ran for 98 yards in week one. Of course, he didn't score a touchdown because he just doesn't score touchdowns. As a past Lamar Miller owner in fantasy, I can tell you, do not expect him to score touchdowns. He will not. But what he does is he gets you a lot of yards. So he had 98 yards against the New England Patriots, and that's without scoring a touchdown. So he put up 11.9 points, and now he's playing the Titans, and that Titans defense could not even contain Frank Gore. So you take a guy that just ran for 98 yards against the Patriots, got double-digit fantasy points without scoring a touchdown, I think Lamar Miller's in for a good week. I think he gets into the end zone. I think he gets between maybe 70, 90 yards, maybe gets into triple digits, who knows. But I think he is a guy to gamble on this week in fantasy. So those guys, Phillip Rivers, Adrian Peterson, Josh Gordon, smite you Saints, and <laughs> Lamar Miller. You know, I'm really going to hold this grudge for a long time. I am personally offended that they gave up 42 points. 42 points to a offense led by Ryan Fitzpatrick. Can I tell you something about Ryan Fitzpatrick? Go ahead. He is the uh for the scoring leaders in uh fantasy football for ESPN. He the top 3 are number 3 for quarterbacks for most points of fantasy football for the week 1, Philip Rivers. See, good no, pick by him. Number, good pick. Number 2 is Drew Brees. That's expected. And you want to know who number one is? Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> With 42.3 points after 417 yards and four touchdowns. You know, but he the, is also still, I would have to agree with you, this is like the fourth team he's played for in the past years. Who knows how many teams he's played for? I mean, if it was for the Bills, the Jets, and the Titans, he was terrible with the Titans. But, I mean... When has he not been terrible before this game? The only thing he has ever been known for was getting a good score on his Wonderlick test. And that does not matter at all. Peyton Manning did not do very well on his Wonderlick test, and he was amazing. Ryan Fitzpatrick did fantastic on his Wonderlick test, and he is not a very good quarterback. He is only starting because the <laughs> starter... For the Buccaneers, Jameis Winston is suspended, and he comes out here against the Saints defense, 
and lights them up. I'm, I'm done. I'm He's done with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Okay. I'm done we'll with the Saints we'll defense. I'm done with fantasy football for now. Those are your fantasy gambles of the week. Lock them up. Put them in. You want those guys in your lineup. So with that, Harrison, I believe that we have touched on now college football, right? Check. The NFL. Check. And fantasy football. Check. Okay, so we've touched the big three that our podcast likes to discuss. And now we move on to our closing segment, this week's edition of What Not to Watch For. And Harrison, do not watch for LSU to take the next step to national title contender. Really? Against Auburn. Do not watch for it. Auburn at home, first of all. Auburn at home, very difficult to beat. Second of all, I just don't think LSU has the talent to beat Auburn right now. I think Stidham has a great game. I don't think Burrow can do enough for them because I think they are going to have to throw the football to beat the Auburn Tigers, the you know the Tigers in the mascot suit, not the actual Tigers. I've got Tiger Auburn fight. winning this game by double digits and maybe maybe a lot more than that, maybe 20-plus. Uh, I think this could be a very one-sided game, so do not be watching for LSU to take the next step. And with that, we are ready to end this week's episode of the Nickel and Dime podcast. A huge thank you to Revolution 91.7 for allowing us to come in studio and record. It has allowed us to do so much more. You hear all the audio effects going on. You hear the mic quality. It is fantastic. It feels great to be in an actual studio as much as I loved Harrison's apartment, it was <laughs> fantastic. Unfortunately, I do not have the same equipment that Revolution provides. But yes, we I do want to thank Natalie. I also want to thank all of our listeners and all of our followers that have been listening and, and uh, all our guests as well. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, you guys have been doing a great job of sharing this everywhere on social media. We appreciate that. So with that, it's time for us to send it on home. A big thank you once again to Natalie Turner, as Harrison mentioned, and Casey Warner for joining us on this week's episode of the podcast. Big reminder, we will also have a YouTube video up. So if you're just now listening and you're just hearing the audio and you think, man, you know what? I'd love some visual to go with this audio. Well, you can have it. It's on YouTube right now. Right now is in the point when you're listening, not right now as in we're recording, but it'll be on YouTube as well. So with that, for Harrison Volk, I'm Tyler Eaton, and as Michael Scott would say, we'll catch you on the flippity flip.